there are times that the Lord was here and we knew it not. There have been times where um, the Lord was around me and I did not know it. There have been times where I've been here where the Lord was here and I did not know it. But I knew it this morning. And this being ironically, not so ironically by the way, the first Sunday in the year, um, by way of introduction, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 2. And in verse 8, this is not our subject for today, but I would feel amiss not to mention this. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8 says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, that is Jesus. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. We are in that stage of seeing not all things put under him. We live in a life where there is sin. We live in a life where there is death. We live in a life where we see many sad things. We don't see all things put under him yet. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, the God of all heaven, the God of this world, the God that can be described as nothing, anything short of infinite, the God that made everything, he made principalities and powers and everything under heaven that is named. He's the upholder of all things. But yet he was made. He was not made for the conforming to our purpose. He was not made conformed to how we would have him made. He did not come as a king. He did not come as a conquering ruler. He was made for the suffering of death. He was made as a man because he needed to die. Amen. He needed to die for you. He was crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. That is his people. That is his sheep. That is his lambs. For it became him. That means a necessity. It became him. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make their, the captain as the leader, the captain of their salvation, perfect. That means complete through sufferings. You see, when Christ came here, when Christ came into this world, he was born of a virgin, and he came speaking truth, he came speaking the gospel, but that was not the start of him loving you, child of God. It began much longer before that. It was much more effectual than just what he came to do. But him coming and him suffering for you was you seeing a visual of what that was and what it meant to him. It was a needful process for him to come and die on the cross for our sins and justify us, but that was not all of it. It was part of the covenant of grace you see it was a necessity. For both he that sanctifieth, that means setting apart of the Lord's people, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified, that's talking about you and me, are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. 
You see, the covenant of grace is about us being placed in Christ. It's not about us walking into Christ. It's not about us accepting Christ. It's about God putting us in Christ and we being made a part of him. That's why it is called, the church is called the wife of Christ. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ hath loved the church and gave himself for Why did he give himself for Because it was a part of him. He wanted it to be made a part of him, and it is a part of him. That's why it's so important that we do what we do right here. It's so important that we worship like we worship right here, because we want to be an obedient wife. But it, this right here, the cause that he is calling us brethren, is not based off of our obedience. It's based off of our position. It's based on things that he has done. It says, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praises unto thee. If you needed a reminder that the Lord is here, if you needed a reminder that he is still very active among his people, listen to his voice. Listen to his voice here. He was singing with us here this morning. That means... That when the Lord is here, when we are worshiping in spirit and in truth, we are strong, not only stronger together than we ever could be apart as a people, as servants of Christ, as Christians trying to go forth and proclaim his name. But the sum of us being here is much more than us as parts because the Lord is here. Amen. It is a blessed tie that binds you and me. It is that love that flows between us. It's that bond of Christian love. It's not about a bond that's made outside of this world and something that we have in common with other people. It's not about this is our hobby. It is the most persuading, it is the strongest bond than we could ever have with anyone in this world. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we will try to speak on what is on our mind this morning. Please pray that this is of the Lord. Second Timothy chapter 3, and in verse 12, reads this. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You notice that through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable unto doctrine, for, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. It is thought that 2 Timothy was the last letter of Paul. It was the last letter that he wrote um, before he was murdered. You see, he wasn't just killed. He wasn't just beheaded for a just reason. He was killed. And he was convicted on the sentence that he was preaching the gospel. He was um, following what the Lord would have him to do, but other people saw that 
and they saw that as an opposition to the government. They saw that as an opposition to what they believed, despite the fact it being true. And they took him by wicked hands, I might add, before the emperor of Rome, seeing his decree to kill Paul, and they killed him. But this was the last letter that we see from him. Paul was in prison at this time, whether that be in house arrest or in a dark Roman prison. But Paul was not just simply laying down. He had not just given up. He was not despondent at his condition. Yet now, almost seeming more than ever, he was, pers he was persuaded and he was motivated by the job that he had to do to continue in the things which God had given him to continue in. Notice the language in chapter 1, and this is talking to the young preacher Timothy, who seemingly was pastoring the church at Ephesus this time. So you have a father in the ministry, son in the ministry dynamic right here. You have a mentorship dynamic, which is the way that we operate in the church today. It's not that we have scholars out in seminary or something like that teaching all of our ministers what they should say, what they should not say, if the virgin's birth. The virgin birth is right or the virgin birth is not right. Whether the Bible can work with evolution or not. No, 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 no. We take the Bible for what it is. And we have father in the ministry um, education basis because that's what's in the word of God. That's where the Lord is active. It's not in the institutions of this world. It's in his word. This is our textbook in life. We don't need anything else. But he says in verse 8 in chapter 1, be not there... Thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of the place that you find me in this life. Though I look like a convicted felon, though I look like I've done something very wrong, you don't be ashamed of me. Because the reason that I am suffering persecution is for the right thing. And you see here, child of God, all, that's, all that believe God and all that um, will live godly in Christ, they will suffer persecution in some way. I'm very thankful to tell you right now that in the United States of America that we don't see Christians persecuted like they were right here. We don't see people burned at the stake like we have in times past. We don't see people like in the year 8300 where the emperor Diocletian literally put out a law that every Bible in the nation, every complete canon of scripture was ordered to be burned in the Roman Empire, which was a lot bigger than Italy, by the way, back then. It encompassed North Africa. It encompassed a lot of the places in West Asia. It encompassed almost all of Europe. Diocletian declared that all the Bibles there were to be burned. We don't have that here in the United States, and I thank God for it. But that does not mean you do not suffer persecution in some capacity. It could be that you are out in the world and you are striving to live a godly life. And there are people who point the finger at you and say, you are a prejudiced bigoted person because the things that you tell us we should not do or the things that you live out that you should not do, you find yourself doing those same things. You are illeg illegitimate. We shouldn't take your advice. And honestly, you shouldn't even be doing the things that you're doing because there's no one perfect, right? And because there's no one perfect, we should have no standard. Child of God, that is persecution. That is something that we should look at and call it what it is. It's wrong. It's bad. But that does not mean that you should get off of your foundation. That does not mean that you should stop standing on the word of God just because persecution comes. Jesus said 
persecution would come. It says it's of a necessity, but tribulations and persecutions will come. He tells you for what it is. And then you ask the question, well, what's so special about this? If I'm going to go through so much hurt being a Christian, or if I'm going to go through so many trials, why in the world do I do it? Be not thou for ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions in the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but now is made manifest according to the Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to life. Wherefore, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause also I suffer. Here's the reason. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Look at what Paul just said right here. He's not only told us that we are not to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. He's not only told us that we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He said, don't be ashamed of the way that you live godly in this world. Don't feel like you're being left out from that wicked crew when they go out and do the things that disrespect the name of Christ. When they live a life that is not honored to him. Maybe it's, maybe it's a day. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's all those things. And I'm not ta- trying to say that we are perfect. But we do not indulge ourselves as Christians. And we do not indulge experiences that would be dishonoring to him willingly. We want to keep that out. We want to be that away from that as far as we possibly can. We, Paul says mortify the deeds that are in your body. There's some things that you need to put on. And I'm going to tell you, child of God, there are some pains of losses here in life that we need to feel. If it pains you to lose something that is sinful in this life, that's a good pain. And that is an evidence that you are a child of God. It's okay to lose that because in losing that, you will gain a better fellowship with Christ. You will see him more clearly. You will be serving him more fervently. You're going to take a weight off your back. You're going to give him that weight and you will be able to go more freely. You will go being able to have a lighter burden and serve him better. But that's not all that he says. He says, be thou therefore a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according, that means as referenced by, the power of God. You see, there are some things in this life that you are not able to bear of your own self. There are some people that will not take the advice of the Bible, that will not take the word of the Lord for what it is because their eyes have been holden or they have just simply not believed it. The Lord needs to open their eyes. I'm not going to speak on behalf, on behalf of my dad, but I've heard him tell this story enough to I know that he believes this. When my mother and him were dating, he was not a Baptist. He was not um, one that would believe all the things that we, that we would believe right here. He didn't practice like we practiced. He didn't do any of that. And when my mom told him what we believed and said, these are the doctrines which we hold to, these are the practices of worship which is what, which, what we hold to, these are the things that we do. These are the things that we don't do. My dad was like, 
y'all are crazy. <laughs> like, this does not, this doesn't make any sense to me. This is not anything that I've ever learned. I've never been exposed to this, but I will tell you this. We will lay our beliefs on the table. We will say, this is what the Bible says, and this is what we are saying. And we will see what God says about what we believe, rather than just taking our own individual positions. The Lord opened the eyes of my father. He is a preacher of the gospel of Christ right now. It took a lot of undoing what he knew to grab hold of what he did know. My mother did not convert him. The Lord converted him. The Lord opened his eyes. There are some things as Christians that we are not able to do. That does not mean we do not try. No, my, my mom had a lot of conversations with my dad. Um, there was no, it was no shortage of efforts, you see. And the Lord is pleased with effort. The Lord is pleased when his children go out and do the things that he has told them to do. But there are some things that you will never convince people of. There are some things that you will never be able to do on your own. That's why it is according to the power of God. That's why God needs to be the revealer. The revealer. You know, he was the revealer in your life too. Because I have not seen, neither ear hath heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared to them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us. How is it revealed? Unto us. God revealed it unto us. By who? By the preacher? By, you know, someone out in life? By nature itself? No, by the Spirit of God. He revealed these things. God is the revealer of truth to his children. He is the revealer. Christ is the revelator. You see, in Revelation, when it talks about all that, it says the revelation of St. John, the divine. You can say that Brother John Mark said this. You mark out that St. John the divine right there. And you put Jesus Christ Amen. in his place because Jesus Amen. Christ was the revealer. He was the revelator. But it says who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Jesus Christ before the world began. Why was Paul suffering these things? Why, what was his weight? What was his motivation of why he did this? It was the life that Jesus Christ gave him. It was what he suffered for Paul individually. It was the continued care that he gave unto him day by day. The weight that Paul felt from Jesus Christ to do what he did was overabounding. It was bigger than any trial than he, what he could have ever seen. The weight of glory is more than the weight of this time world. And Paul saw that. Paul saw what Jesus had done for him. He saw how he took him from a state of death and trespass and sins and placed him in the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And even more than that, Paul said, I'm not ashamed. Nevertheless, nevertheless I'm not ashamed for I know whom I believe in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. The Apostle Paul acknowledged that whatever little trial that he goes through in this life, compared with the weight of glory, it's nothing to God. God can take that and he can move it out of the way just like he split the Red Sea. He can take that and he can make it go away like nothing. It's nothing to God to move our trials off of us. Though we see them and though they are so weighty on us right now, he bears them. He is meek and lowly in heart. He has promised rest for your soul, child of God. 
the things that we have in our life that we so strongly hold to, excuse me for saying it like this, but I have no other way to say it. Christ has told us he has obligated himself to take care of us in this life. He has said whatever burden that you have, whatever weight that you have on you, bring it to me and I will deal with it. I will take it off of you. And in place of that, put my yoke on your back. And this is not a yoke that will crush your back, child of God. This is an easy yoke. This is a light yoke. It does not mean that it will not be a burden. It does not mean that your life will be without persecution. But I will tell you, child of God, with that weight and with that yoke on your back, I've never had something heavy be pleasurable to me that I wanted to just keep there. But this is something that I don't want to lose because this is my semblance of serving the Lord. This is your semblance of serving the Lord is keeping that yoke there, is keeping that principle there, is keeping what you are called to do close in your field of vision and close beside you at all times. He said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You know what you commit to him? All the troubles of this life. All the inconsistencies that you don't understand. Every experience that is hard for you, you pray for it. You ask God to help you. If, you, if that's once every five minutes, then do it. The Lord is able to bear that. The Lord wants to hear those things from you. You commit that to him, child of God. But it says here, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Back in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 14. But he says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Again, God does the assuring. The words that we hear from man, the words that we hear from the word of God, the Bible in front of us, the Lord assures us of those things. And we are con to continue in that walk of life. We are to continue in the things which we have begun in. You see, Christ did not lay out an incomplete belief system. He did not lay out an incomplete church. When he said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, talking about the rock of himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. He did not simply lay the foundation and leave someone else to build the church. He built the foundation. He built the church. He gave the apostles the, key, the keys of the kingdom and that whatever they would do would be bound on earth and be bound in heaven, which means that they had authority that you and I do not have. But they did not build the church. It was a little bit like this. I planted, talking about Paul, Apollos watered. They tended to it. They put the seed where it needed to be. But what is a seed without the sun? What is a seed without fertile soil? Even if it has water, the increase had to come from somewhere. And God gave that increase. Our job as children of God is to continue in those things. Our job as members of the church, as baptized, as baptized believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to continue into those things. And he says of Timothy, and from a child, 
thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The scriptures do not give us life, you understand, but they make us wise unto the life that we already have. And we believe those scriptures by faith. There are some things in our life that we cannot objectively prove. I cannot objectively prove to you that my um, soul and spirit that the Lord has given me is actually there. You see the fruits of it, you see the symptoms of it, but we believe it and we accept it upon faith. But you understand, even though that we cannot prove it, objectively does not mean faith is some miscellaneous concept that's like just the wind blowing and we can't see it, we can't grasp it. It is a substance, child of God. You can grab hold of it, it is assuring, and it is believable. In Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 1, we find this. Set of faith. It says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Even though you don't see faith, it is an evidence. The faith which we have in regeneration grips you, it is assuring to you, and it leads you straight to Christ. Because that faith is not of you, it is of the Lord of which he has given you. It is a fruit of of the Spirit. It's something that is brought forth from the Spirit which Christ hath given you. But it says, um, well, this is another example of this in verse 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. You see, child of God, we can't objectively prove that there was a Garden of Eden way back when. And that that Garden of Eden was made up of two people, of Adam and Eve. But we believe it on faith. Why do we believe it? Because God said it. We believe that it actually happened. We believe that sin came into the world and death by sin and death passed upon all men for all had sinned. You know who that came from? It came from Adam. That literally happened. We believe it on faith. We did not see that happen with these eyes, but we saw it happen from our spiritual eyes. We didn't see the flood happen, but we believe it because Jesus said it happened. The Lord said it happened. There are some things that we cannot prove, but but nonetheless, they happen. And I will tell you this, child of God, just as a side point as well, if you are ever wondering if the Lord's ways are the best ways, or if you're ever wondering, am I walking in the right way in this life? Am I holding something back that I could be doing or should I go out among the wicked crew and embrace those things which are called worldly, which are called sinful, that could be misinterpreted in my hands, as it were. You remember this. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, his immutable presence and his immutable being, his all-powerful nature, the fact that he never said anything wrong, never did anything wrong, we have full faith in him. The words which he said to do are always the best words. Our faith towards him is directly correlating how much we trust that what he said that we should do in life are the exact best ways. He said these scriptures back in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 3 are able to make thee wise unto the salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And I will tell you this, child of God, this is something that I've struggled with for a long time in my life. And it's, and it's a common struggle. 
If we do not read these words which are in front of us, we will not be wise unto salvation. We will not understand why we believe what we believe. We will not be guided in the ways where we need to go. One of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy is to hammer on the fact that you as a child of God, as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, need to faithfully study his word. You need to faithfully walk after him in your life, in every way, in every way that you can. Hold nothing back from the Lord. Give it all to him. Rest it where it needs to rest beside him, and you walk according to what he had said. He said, be not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, nor of me, his prisoner. He said, go forth and act like you know it. And in order to act like you know it, you need to know it. And that's been something that's hard for me in my life because I don't always read my Bible every day. I should. I know what I should do. I don't always study every day. I know I should. I know that I shouldn't do it. But sometimes the things of the world get in the way and it obstructs my view of God. I'm not where I need to be in my life all the time because I didn't do what I needed to do. Child of God, if you've been like me, if you've been like me, if you've been in that place before, you read the Word of God. You study it every single day. If you come to something where you don't know what it means, ask somebody. There are treasures beyond belief to be found there. The Lord says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you want your mind, do you want your heart to lie closely with the Lord? Do you want it to lie closely with his principles? Do you want to not divvy from that? You study his word. You put your mind where it needs to be. You spend time there in his word. And here in the next verse, we see the authority of the scripture that was given. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That literally means it comes from God. These are the words of God physically. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This is not a book that we're going to be lacking in. These are not words that are incomplete. They are the tools that we need to be thoroughly furnished children of God, thoroughly furnished servants of God, that we would do the things that we need to do. It doesn't mean that through doing these things we somehow gain salvation, but we please the Lord in doing them. We become complete servants. It says this scripture was given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for the knowledge that you need. It's profitable for the knowledge to know what the Lord has done for you, how you should walk in life. It's profitable for reproof. Now, this word reproof has given me some trouble in times past because there's, there's kind of a few ways that you can take it. But what it means is this. It means when you learn something in life, when you learn a lesson, the Bible reproves that lesson. If it is a legitimate lesson, for example, if you come to a place in life where you have dealt, where you have dealt with, where you have dealt with something, maybe it be some sin or it be some good thing that you've dealt with. And you have seen that that thing is a good thing, or you have seen that that sin is sinful. 
and you read in the Word of God and you see that backed up by Scripture, that is a reproof. That is something that you have seen in life to be true, and that is something that you see in His Word to also be true. It says for, it says for correction, it shows you when you're going in the wrong way how to turn back in the right way. It corrects you. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. It's profitable to move back in the way where you need to go. God bless you. Love you. So very thankful for the wonderful message that Brother John Mark has preached to us. And he didn't know the verse I had on my mind, and I didn't know what he had on his mind, but for a very few minutes, uh, I'd really like to look at one verse in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, where Peter would say, casting all your care upon him, for he careth. For you. Notice it doesn't say cast singular all your care upon him. It says casting. I can't think about casting without thinking about rod and reel fishing. And if we were to take somebody fishing and they casted once, reeled it in, didn't get a fish, and just sat there. We'd be wondering what's going on. And we may say, what are you doing? They said, well, I already cast it. Well, you need to do it again. <laughs> you need to keep casting. If you're going to be out here and catch some fish, you need to do it again. And when we engage in casting all your care, Upon him, for he careth for you. It's not a one time thing. This word casting is plural, and it literally means to put upon or even to throw upon. Now, I remember when I was a little boy, in addition to, to mowing a lot of the grass around Tula, where I grew up, one of the other jobs that I had, and I was honestly probably too little for it. The job was probably bigger than me, but it was in rolling sada into rolls that had been cut and getting that side and putting it on a tall a flatbed trailer that would go behind an 18-wheeler. Well, I was just a little fella, and that was, those rolls aside were very heavy for me. And I remember some of the bigger boys that, that were with me would make fun of me because they had enough strength to get their roll aside, and they put it up on the, the back of the flatbed trailer, but and they could do it without getting their clothes all muddy and messy. But I wasn't that strong. And so my clothes were just totally muddy and totally messy. And they would make fun of me. 
And I remember that the rolls of sod would be so heavy for me that I couldn't just place them on the flatbed trailer. I kind of had to throw them upon the flatbed trailer because they were heavy. You know, some of the cares we have in life are heavy. Um, They're so heavy that we can't even really just place them neatly upon Christ, but it's so heavy we almost just have to throw them upon Christ. And we have to do it again and again. The cares of this world can choke the word of God. If you look at what the Lord Jesus said in the the parable of the sower, and I'll just quickly read this in Matthew chapter 13. You'll see what the cares of life, and that word care literally means anxiety. In Hebrews 13, 22, as the Lord Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower, he said, he also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world. That's the same English word and it's the same Greek word that we just read. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. If we don't engage in casting our cares upon him, the word of God can be choked in our life. What would cause us not to cast our care upon him? are engaged in casting, plural, our care upon him. It's because we think we can handle it. It, It's a little bit of pride. I I can handle this. I've got this. I don't need any help. But we do need his help. The cares of life, the anxieties of life, or more than we can bear. And we need to cast them upon him again and again and again. You know, sometimes it's the little cares we may try to hang on to. We may say, yeah, I realize this one care, this one anxiety, this this one really tough thing I'm going through in my life, I've got sense enough to realize I've got to cast that on the Lord. But you know, these little things, I I think I can get that. I I think I can get this little care, and I I think I can get this other little care, and I, I, I think I got those. But we don't. I went to a traumas of law enforcement training one time. And it talked about some of the great emotional distresses that law enforcement go through. And part of that was 
if a law enforcement officer is, is worked a horrible wreck or they worked a horrible car fire and they see a victim and what all happened to them and they look at that victim and they identify. Maybe it reminds them of one of their children or one of their nieces or nephews or somebody they love very much and they really identify and the heart goes out and breaks for what they've seen. And the trainer of this training almost compared it to a person that's in a pond and some emotional distress happens and it's like a beach ball and the person says, hey, I've got this. And they shove the beach ball under the water and don't ever really deal with it. You're like, I got this. This is, this is a care. I, I've got it. And the trainer said, you know, you may can do that with one or two for a little while. But all of a sudden, you got a beach ball under this hand, under the water. You've got another one under this hand, under the water. And here comes something else, and you're trying to hold it down, and all the beach balls come up at the same time. And you're in a mess. Notice the Lord tells us in his word, casting all your care. The big ones, the little ones, all of them. He says, you can't carry them, but I can. You know, I've got a little bit of a habit of I'll cast my care upon him, and then in a little while I'll get it back. So, okay, Lord, I, I can get it now. Give it back. No. He can carry it. We cannot. He said, casting, throwing upon, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You know, I looked up that word, careth for you. And some of the main places that word is used, or at least a couple of times, it's where people were questioning if the Lord cared for them. You remember when the disciples were on that ship and a great, great storm came up and the Lord Jesus was asleep? You remember what they said? Carest thou not? That we perish? The disciples questioned if the Lord cared. What a silly thing to question. But you know our flesh is like the disciples' flesh and we can do the same thing. Lord, do you really care? You know what we need to do when Satan's tempting us in that way? We need to take a step back. We need to look at all the things that the Lord has done for us. Throughout all of our life and even throughout, as Brother John Mark preached it to us, even from before the foundation of the world. And we won't ask that question. Because we'll know 
will understand just how much He loves us because of all that He has done for us. He cares. I want to look at just a couple of verses that just deal with how much he cares. Isaiah 40 in verse 11. Speaking of the Lord, it said, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms, with his arm, and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Said he'll gather the lambs with his arms and he'll carry them in his bosom. You know, there's times in my life where the cares of the world seem to get so much that it's almost like, yes, I need to be casting all my care upon him. But it's like, Lord, you also got to carry me because I can't do it anymore. Lord, I not only want to cast all my care upon you because you love me and you care for me. Lord, I need you to carry me right now. He'll do that. We've seen the, the image of the footprints in the sand and the footprints. You see the footprints of the person and then you see the footprints of the Lord and it's emblematic that the Lord was right there with you, walking with you. And then the time comes where there's only one set of footprints. And the person worried and said, Lord, why did you leave me alone? He said, no, that was when I was carrying you. There's not an exact Bible verse that talks about footsteps on the beach, but I'll tell you the principle is there, and I just read it. When it's too much for the little sheep, and he gathers us up in his arms, and he carries us in his bosom because he loves us. That's our Lord. And that's how much he cares. That's how much he loves us. Look in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17, and I'll close with this. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. Our cares are too big and too heavy for us, even the little but they're not too big for him. He is mighty. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee, in the middle of thee, is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. Though we're guilty, bankrupt sinners, he loves us. And though we rejoice in him and all he's done for us, what a blessing child of God to know and understand that he rejoices over you. He loves you that much. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. 
he will joy over thee with singing. Brother John Mark mentioned how the Lord sings, sang with us this morning and what a blessing that the Lord would meet with us. And as we worship him, as we rejoice over him, as we give thanks unto him for all that he's done for us, what a great blessing that he rejoices over us, that he loves us that much. May God richly bless you, my prayer.